Hello and welcome to the Commotion Mobility Podcast, your regular glimpse into the future of urban mobility. I'm your host, Greg Lindsay, and once again, I'm joined by Jonah Bliss, our VP of Marketing and Media for Commotion. Welcome back, Jonah. Hey, Greg. Uh, happy Juneteenth, at least on the day that we're recording this and on the day that it airs. Uh, everyone, happy one week and one day out from Commotion Miami Live. So very exciting. Yes, I suppose you forgot the summer solstice as well. It's a quite an eventful time. And yeah, to echo your point, we have Commotion Miami coming up. We're going to hear later in this podcast from Albert Garcia, who's the chairman of the Wynwood Business Improvement District, to hear about how Wynwood went from being, you know, uh, effectively a, a sort of neighborhood of Miami to becoming, you know, this arts and cultural district that is now bidding to get its own commuter rail station and trying to become the sort of nexus of Miami mobility. So we'll hear from Albert uh, shortly about, you know, sort of the, what would have been the setting of, of commotion in Miami. And we'll definitely hear about sort of the whole Miami story as the city continues to evolve. But but before we get to that, there is, of course, as always, plenty of news in the world of mobility. Um, Jonah, what's the rundown for this week? Another busy week. Uh, I almost wish we had like a little drum beat we could play as we go, but... <laughs> Um, starting off with some big money, right? We saw DoorDash just raise a cool $400 million, uh, putting their post cap at $16 billion. That, that sounds like a lot of money to me. So uh, the delivery wars are, are continuing to heat up. Uh, the thing that I do think was interesting is that they had kind of quietly filed back in February to do an IPO. And so it looks like that's on hold while the, uh, the market stays kind of cool. But there's still private money sloshing around. So more free yeah. delivery on the house. Fascinating to think about that, you know, that Amazon paid $14 billion for Whole Foods with real infrastructure and real revenues. And yet, you know, basically you're paying to see who can lose the most money the fastest in these. Um, real yeah, infrastructure is just an albatross, Greg. Come on. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Well, speaking of, you know, speaking of just, you know, I'm going to take your money if you're going to give it to me. My favorite bit of news is Hertz, you know, of course, which tried to raise a billion dollars in, in fresh shares during its own bankruptcy proceedings was unfortunately nixed by the SEC. Their plan to sell, I think, 500 million was the final figure. But you know, when you have people out there like you know, like Dave Portnoy of, of Barstool Sports insisting that stocks only ever go up, I'm really, I'm really disappointed that Hertz was just not allowed to take the money of people who'd be willing to give it to a Chapter 11 bankrupt company. But I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe cooler heads prevailed in this one. Take the money and run. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Well, what else? Well, there's been some interesting news on the uh, the autonomy front, or I should say, not autonomous. That's right. Like, uh, you know, driver assistance systems. Right. What's the new news out of Ford? Yeah, let's let's, let's call this one a, an ADAS, not a, a pure AV. But uh, so Ford's got the upcoming Mustang Mach E, uh, kind of cool looking, sort of a SUV, sort of a Mustang, uh, all electric. But then they just announced uh, that shortly after the car goes on sale, they'll be uh, making available for download. And the, the name is, uh, you got to bear with me, it's the Ford Copilot 360 Active 2.0 Prep Package. Uh, so marketing department, uh, <laughs> what, has, what happened there? But no, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, as, as more automakers enter the assisted driving arena, this one promises to uh, let you go hands-free while the car keeps an eye on you in certain, uh, you know, divided highways that they've pre-mapped and whatnot. So you know, not not going to be able to drive it directly to your house, but if you're cruising down uh, an interstate, uh, you know, a little less work for the driver. 
Well, for those of you who are joining us at Commotion Miami Live, you're going to get to hear me actually chat about that system with John Lawler, who's the CEO of Ford Autonomous Vehicles. So we're going to chat about that. But what's interesting to me about that announcement is some of the reactions that I saw on Twitter. So, you know, Alex Roy, the uh, the provocateur and one-time cannibal run uh, a record holder who is now a sort of a senior advisor to Argo AI, which is building the autonomous systems for Ford and Volkswagen. He was out there crowing about the fact of their commitment to safety in this, like you, like you mentioned, but also the fact that, you know, they're installing, you know, three different lines. LiDARs to tra- and, and, and cameras to track the faces of drivers to make sure that they're paying attention to the road, uh, you know, much more top flight. The fact that they're not selling it as autonomous or semi-autonomous as, as Tesla has done controversially with autopilot. Uh, related to that, by the way, you may have seen that the Associated Press removed from its style book semi-autonomous, acknowledging that there is, in fact, no such thing. So I, I thought all those were interesting. And of course, other wags are out there pointing out that now that Ford has the same features or, or, or is about to have the same features as Tesla Autopilot, can they be valued at 100 times earning as uh, 100 times <laughs> revenues as well? I mean, it seems only fair that, you know, that Ford should get to have that. But as you pointed out, legacy infrastructure is an albatross. So uh, I, I, I guess I do. Has, Greg, has anyone you know, trademarked the term the panopticar? Because it just seems like we have more and more front facing cameras inside every vehicle. So yeah. <laughs> Who watched well, the yeah. Watchmen? Free ideas for Ford's marketing department, as you pointed out there, so they can get into that. Um, but yeah, also, I mean, I, I want to go back to, you know, you mentioned uh, DoorDash at the top of it. In addition to the fundraising round, you know, they're currently being sued by the city of San Francisco because in, in, in California, it would appear it is now fully open season on suing gig economy companies for uh, employee misclassification. That joins the Cal- state of California lawsuit against Uber and Lyft. And so now you have, you know, sort of uh, multiple entities inside California demanding that they comply with this. So it will be interesting to see, uh, yeah, how that one is resolved as well. I mean, you know, as we've seen here, I'm based in Montreal, as you, as you listeners may know, where, yeah, we're there, you know, the, the uh, they've been recognized as dependent contractors. And so, you know, the gig companies are, are quaking in their boots here and trying to figure out what that means. It'll be interesting to see if California can get this this AB5 rulings to stick. Yeah, and in California, we also have, uh, in November, yeah, the Uber and Lyft, et cetera, have placed a a ballot measure to basically try and roll back AB5 so it doesn't apply to them. So the, the battle's going to keep raging on for many months, that's for sure, like, like anything yeah, so. with Uber involved. Well, the, only, the only winners will be employees of their government policy teams, uh, the, the companies that are creating that, I suppose. And I'm sure um, you yeah, paid 10 cents a signature to put that on the ballot, too. <laughs> exactly. Well, speaking, speaking of those companies, so Lyft is vowed, and this I think is interesting, Lyft is vowed, correct me if I'm wrong, to go all electric by 2030. To which my response is, exactly how are they planning to do that, um, given the fact that they've tried not to take on assets? What, what are the finer details of that plan? Do you know? Yeah, it looks like it's twofold. So, you know, believe it or not, Lyft actually does have some cars under their own control. Um, they do have like a pretty small rental program buried deep within your app where you can, you know, if you want a car for a weekend, uh, they'll come drop one off to you. But no, the, the much more meaningful thing is the actual you know, network of drivers on the app. And, and yeah, I think like anything, the devil's going to be in the details. So does it mean that, you know, the last day of 2029, if you don't have a EV or other zero emission vehicle, they just don't let you keep driving? Um, is there going to be incentives? You know, how much carrot, how much stick? To me, that's going to be the big question. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Well, speaking of electric mobility and the, on the, you know, taking it to the micromobility front, um, you know, Bird has come out with sort of a new turn-by-turn directions app, which is interesting. But Madrid is now the latest city in Europe to basically uh, – 
offer a, a basically electric mobility subsidies, uh, I think in their case, 750 euros, which is more slightly more than the, the 500 euros uh, offered to Italian residents. So it'll be interesting to see if which, if any, of sort of U.S. municipalities or states choose to go that route. I do see data everywhere, and you may have seen some as well. I, I, the latest piece I saw was in Indianapolis where sales in bike shops are up 70%, and there's a f- incredible images coming out of the Philippines. I've seen in Manila, for example, of just people crowding bicycle stores, huge demand uh, to, to basically buy this. So they can, you know, partly because of the summer months, but also to avoid public transportation, all the reasons we've said. So there's this huge upswell in consumer demand for it. I'll be curious to see if anybody recognizes that there's a modal shift underway, but yeah. uh, what else have you seen? Yeah. Well, I'd say yeah, building off that, uh, there's definitely you know demand for bikes and scooters and all sorts of micromobility in the US, but the question is, is there supply for it? So. Um, you know, obviously, they're kind of lower margin uh, things to produce. So just this past week, we saw Gen Z close what was the only scooter. You know, it's a ride scooter, not not a standing scooter, but a, a riding scooter. The only U.S. factory. They just announced they were going to shutter. Uh, I believe that's somewhere in Detroit. So uh, a tough blow for the, the nascent uh, U.S. scooter manufacturing industry. It is tough, although I say, but in the counter, you know, when it comes to like legacy manufacturers, I thought it was interesting that Triumph, you know, is announcing it's going to create its first e-bike following on the success of Harley Davidson. So it is, there, there's a larger case study to be written somewhere. And I'd love to read it of, you know, of, you mentioned Ford and the Mach-E, you know, taking, taking the Mustang, which is, you know, a muscle car coupe and turning it into an electric SUV, or the fact that you now have these sort of like legacy, you know, uh, you know, performance brands like Triumph and Harley Davidson that are now rolling out electric vehicles and the uptake seems to be there. Like we haven't seen backlash yet from anybody saying like, no, 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 that's against the brand DNA. Um, so it's interesting how that's evolving. Yeah. 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 I haven't, I haven't yet to see a, a Harley LimeWire on the street, but I'd certainly be curious when I, you know, hear or don't hear one breeze passing one day. Uh, I can't say I'm shocked about Ford turning anything they can into an SUV, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's cool watching some of the, uh, you know, bike and motorcycle manufacturers evolve. Well, interesting. Well, I think it's about time we turn it over to Albert. But before we do that, can we talk a bit? Let's talk a bit about Commotion Miami and what what our participants can expect next week. Yeah, um, it's quite the lineup. I hope everyone listening has already signed up. But if you haven't, commotionmiami.com. Uh, tickets start at complimentary basis, and then you can upgrade to a kind of premium pass for ninety five dollars. Uh, but no, it's it's shaping up really well. I mean, we've got an opening keynote with uh, Miami Dade Mayor, Mayor Carlos Jimenez talking about the transformation going on there. Uh, as you mentioned, the head of uh, Ford Autonomous Vehicles will be sharing his vision. Another great fireside chat is with uh, Daniel Ramo, the CEO of Via. Um, we've got. Um, Move it. Uh, their CEO Nierez, you know, they just got bought for about a billion dollars by Intel, kind of forming a mobility juggernaut with uh, Mobileye, which was purchased uh, recently as well. So yeah, it's it's really I think a, a pretty fascinating collection of you know you got the Florida people, you got the Latin America people, but then you have the whole world coming. Uh, it's such a pivotal moment for mobility as we kind of try and rebuild and reflect from what's happened with you know the pandemic economic crash and now people sort of you know demanding equity and justice on the street so it's it's not just your average conference that's for sure 
That is for sure. And I say, and the one piece I think you left out is that I'm very excited about is really having the sort of Latin American, uh, you know, sort of uh, delegates and speakers. I mean, obviously Miami, you know, sort of being an unofficial northern edge of, of the Latin American sphere of influence. Uh, I think it's great that we're going to have public officials from Bogota, from Quito, and from elsewhere. Because I really think, you know, I mean, we talk a lot, as I did, about Madrid and about sort of European cities. But I think, you know, American mobility probably has more to learn frankly, from uh, from Latin American neighbors than it does from across the pond. So, so yeah, it should be a, a great time. Um, well, with that, let's turn over to our guests here. So Albert's going to talk a bit about, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, uh, sort of the evolution of Wynwood and sort of how they hope to sort of expand mobility options there and, and adapt this neighborhood that uh, that was sort of, you know, crafted with the interests of a lot of stakeholders and, uh, and basically sort of, you know, turn it into a model for the new mobility. So let's hear it from Albert. Thank you for joining us, Albert. Thanks for having me, Greg. Well, I guess for our listeners, you know, we were supposed to be having this conversation in person, I suppose, in Wynwood in Miami. Uh, Commotion Miami Live is now, of course, taking place in the cloud, as most events are these days. Um, but yeah, we, the reason we chose to have Commotion in Wynwood is because of this unique confluence of factors. You know, this, of course, was uh, you know, a dominant Puerto Rican neighborhood that over the last 20, 30 years has been completely reborn and revitalized into, you know, one of the more vibrant cultural districts in America. So I guess as a first question for our listeners who are unfamiliar with the, uh, the rise of Wynwood, can you talk briefly about sort of how that came to be and the, the confluence of stakeholders who helped make that happen? Sure. So going back to the 1950s, Wynwood was the hub for manufacturing for South Florida and the Caribbean and much of Latin America. It was, for lack of a better identifier, we were the garment district for the Americas. And once that industry, you know, kind of was rattled by global forces, trade and manufacturing jobs uh, being pushed out of the country, this community, like many others across the country um, that have similarly seen uh, what happens to these sectors, kind of came to a screeching halt. And it was overrun with crime and a lot of lawful and unlawful activities, but more of the unlawful kind, unfortunately. Uh, my family's history in this neighborhood goes back to that era, and we were one of the few that uh, stuck around and weathered it. And uh, as part of that metamorphosis, there was this uh, real, true, genuine, organic rebirth that was really, I think, for all intents and purposes, and I think history is still young for Wynwood, but I think it could be traced back to the effect that street art had in bringing this neighborhood back to life. And people that were clamoring for something different, distinctive of all the other things that South Florida is known for, like our nightlife, our beaches. And that brought a whole new cast of investors, visitors, and visionaries who laid a new course for this neighborhood. And fast forward today, uh, we've now welcomed close to about 5 million annual visitors that are coming largely to come and explore one of the largest collections of street art in the world. And our businesses you know, span all of the creative ranges that you could imagine, from art galleries to retail to antique shops. We've got more breweries now in South Florida than anywhere else uh, in the East Coast that are now anchored in this neighborhood. And it's also evolving to be a place where people also want to live and work, not just simply play. So it's kind of a microcosm of Miami was also gone through its own rebirth and um, their own renaissance over the last 15, 20 years. And Wynwood seems to be leading the way. 
Now, interesting, as it turns out, uh, Wynwood was the last place I visited before going into quarantine in late February. It was my last trip then. And, um, and so the weather was perfect. And it was interesting. Uh, you know, Wynwood, of course, is a walkable neighborhood or a rarity in many American cities. But also, you know, had one of the highest prevalences of scooters on the streets that I've seen. And, um, and yeah, it was a sort of interesting mobility mix. And, and Wynwood, of course, is now also pushing for having a stop on the light rail network that's being built through South Florida. So how has the, mo the mobility mix evolved in Wynwood over time? And, and how do you see it evolving? Because this is, of course, why, again, why we wanted to have it there. Yeah, you know, this is a grid that was never designed for retail activation for mixed commercial uses, let alone the attraction of having millions of visitors come to walk our streets. So our sidewalks are narrow, our streets are narrow. Um, they're not getting any wider, uh, at least in the uh, short run, but more and more people are coming, whether they're coming in cars, on scooters, on foot. And as we continue to evolve and grow, we're faced with the same challenges any other market or community has, which is you can never have enough options for transit. And in Wynwood in particular, because we're a part of a larger ecosystem that also has their own transit challenges. Uh, we've been at the forefront of working with our government leaders and stakeholders to advocate for additional options for mobility. So one of the things that we're working on now with our partners at the county and at the city is also working on the private partnership um, that government isn't usually accustomed to when it comes to mass transit, and that is working something with our high-speed rail partners on the private side, in this case, Virgin Trains, which is similarly also undertaking an initiative to connect Las Vegas and Los Angeles. In Florida, they're doing the same with an ambition to connect Miami with Orlando in less than three hours. So working with a partner like Virgin and bringing them to the table with our county partners to look at how we use rail and also solve some of our commuter issues, in particular in Miami-Dade County, has kind of opened the door to this potential partnership, which is right now, as we speak, being explored. And we're, we're very hopeful that there will be several new commuter rail stations, including one to service the Wynwood area, part of the CBD of Miami-Dade County. And this will interconnect it and also fill in many of the gaps um, from our more, we would say, legacy transit options um, that for the most part haven't really been uh, known for their innovation over the last two decades. Uh, we kind of have just grown flat. Yeah, I was just about to say, you know, in my experience of visiting Wynwood, it's still a fairly low-slung neighborhood. The towers that are so emblematic of Miami and Miami Beach are sort of absent from that area. And so it's interesting. I mean, you're sort of embracing a classic TOD, you know, development idea here of having a stop on a rail station. What are the plans? How, how do you imagine Wynwood evolving from a real estate standpoint and land use standpoint then around that and the other alternatives? Sure. So in the last uh, two years, we've had close to half a million uh, new square feet of multifamily and office uh, projects coming into the neighborhood. But right now we have about two million in the pipeline. So that's two million square feet of office, multifamily, uh, hotels, co-living. Uh, that's coming. So there's going to certainly be an explosion of growth in Wynwood, but we also forget that Wynwood is just steps away from Edgewater, which is um, right along Biscayne Bay in between us and the water. And that's where you do see a lot of the high rises, the condos, the apartments that have also kind of sprawled from the core of downtown Brickell northward along that coastal uh, link. And those residents are also in dire need of transit options as well. So a station situated at the heart between Wynwood and Edgewater 
wouldn't just exclusively service Swinwood, but the thousands and thousands of residents that live here now and are projected to move to this area over the next several years, um, you know, our needs from a transit uh, perspective are only going to exponentially grow and become a lot more difficult to solve in the future if we don't start to implement new solutions uh, soon. Interesting. Well, I want to come back to a moment you mentioned, like, you know, the, the grid of Wynwood, you know, in terms of its narrow streets and, uh, and narrow sidewalks. I mean, obviously, we've seen cities across the United States have had this explosion in delivery and the sort of stresses on the curbs, one of our sort of areas of focus for Commotion Live. Um, Wynwood's also sort of ground zero for Ford doing autonomous testing and delivery there. And then also, you know, you guys are looking at a whole sort of pilot for thinking about how do we allocate curb space for ride hailing and everything else. So, you know, how, how are you sort of approaching these issues? Because, yeah, you have a sort of very constrained street grid, uh, despite this increasing demand and increasing number of residents. So how do, you, how do you squeeze more people into that narrow pipe, so to speak? That's right. And that's always the biggest challenge. And that's why our city and county leaders use Wynwood as the testing grounds, kind of their pilot backyard for all of these new technologies with the philosophy that we, we could make it work in Wynwood. It's going to have a very high probability of success in being rolled out county and citywide. So we do have those narrow streets and sidewalks. And we were the pilot um, community when scooters made their debut in South Florida. And similarly now, as autonomous vehicles are coming in and beginning to um, you know, drive through the grid and get acquainted with our streets, um, we're finding that, again, the challenges that are unique to Wynwood are great for all of our technology partners to come together with county leaders to figure out and work together as they have the ambition of rolling these projects out. So we're also working, for example, with Lyft and Uber. Um, you know, they love Wynwood. It, we're one of the top three destinations for pickup and drop off for in rideshare in South Florida, just after the airport and right before Miami Beach. So kind of speaks to the popularity of the neighborhood, but also poses unique challenges when you have narrow streets and people are coming in and out of cars. Uh, and unfortunately, they're doing so right in the middle of the street, which poses a lot of safety concerns and issues for both riders and also for our drivers on the street. So we're working to create a network of designated pickup and drop off points that are on street. And that is also part of a pilot program that the city of Miami and Miami-Dade County hope to roll out over time, because we all know that eventually we're going to have autonomous vehicles and a mix of ride share that are going to be moving passengers as well as deliveries. And the only way to keep our streets flowing uh, is to be able to efficiently move those vehicles off of the on-traffic lanes as efficiently um, and as safely as we can. So these are all challenges that are not unique to Wynwood, but I, but if for Miami and for Miami-Dade County, um, you know they they love to use Wynwood as as their you know proverbial guinea pig, if you would. Um, and we're always up for that challenge. And so far, I have to say, you know, we've had great success working with the private sector. And it, it's really, I think, that partnership that has allowed all of these new disruptive technologies to take hold and, and, and to flourish uh, here in South Florida. Interesting. I'm going to be speaking with Ford's John Lawler, the head of their autonomous division at Commotion Miami Live. Um, and, and I'm curious, I'm going to talk to him, of course, about what they've learned from testing their vehicles in Wynwood in South Florida. But what has Wynwood learned from autonomy? I'm curious, like, what sort of lessons stick out about how to incorporate those vehicles into traffic, how they interact with the neighborhood and land use? What, what, what's the most surprising thing you've learned from having, uh, yeah, live fire AV exercises in your backyard, almost literally? 
Well, you know, we add one more element to that is that we have pedestrians that don't always stay on the sidewalks uh, when asked. Uh, and that's because in Wynwood, we're also one of the selfie um, Instagram most photographed neighborhoods probably north of America. Truly, so a have, true influencer infestation. That is true. There you, that is right. And they're not always, you know, following the rules, nor do we think they always should, because that's part of our contrarian uh, brand in the neighborhood. So that also poses unique challenges for these vehicles as well, that they don't only have to worry about other vehicles, but also people that are coming at these cars, not just at the intersections off of crosswalks, but literally uh, in between. So I think it's posed a lot of challenges both for folks like Ford, as well as for our pedestrians who now have to be vigilant, not just for cars that are driving by, but ones that potentially could be autonomous. Now, thankfully in Miami-Dade County, like in other places, there has to be somebody in these cars currently. So um, that uh, hasn't led to any issues uh, that, that, uh, that have been reported at least. But I think moving forward, as we start to really understand how we take back these streets. I mean, one of the areas that I think we're also very proud of is we've embraced the open streets, shared streets philosophy. And that's one of the areas that we're also focusing on. And that's also kind of been influenced by all of the conversations and experiments that we've had with folks like Ford and Uber and Lyft, that we do need to create these pedestrian safe havens within our grid. Interesting. Well, we're taping this on Juneteenth, which is obviously of historical less relevance. It's not a, a classic African-American neighborhood in Miami. But I am curious about, you know, there's been a lot of, of critique of traditional urbanism in terms of, you know, who are we making these spaces for? And I'm curious about, you know, all these sort of innovations in Wynwood. How are you linking into some of the other neighborhoods? And because, you know, the, the Wynwood model, of course, has been so successful that we've now seen it applied within Miami and across the country. There's, uh, you know, big development plans for, uh, for Little Haiti, for example, and elsewhere. And I'm curious about, you know, how, how are you trying to sort of take what you've learned here and sort of, and how are, you know, municipal leaders in Miami applying it elsewhere so that we're actually sort of seeing these, these lessons get applied to, to, yeah, to other neighborhoods to, to basically make sure that safe streets are for all and not just for, you know, huge cultural attractions like Wynwood in Miami? Sure. So back in 2015, we created what's now known as a Neighborhood Revitalization District Plan for Wynwood, NRD for short. And it was a remarkable set of rezoning and master planning documents that kind of set forth the vision for what we would call Wynwood 2.0, which encompasses streetscape and everything in between from how buildings need to sit and settle and landscape and you know, all the different moving parts that are important for a community like Wynwood, but also making sure that we don't lose sight of our artistic and industrial roots. Um, so it's a very, you know, uh, high wire challenging act to get, you know, correct, because we really only get one shot at this. Um, and we partnered with Architectonica Geo. Um, that's the urban planning division of the international architecture firm. Architectonica. And we also partnered with a firm out of Brooklyn, New York, landscape uh, and urban design uh, firm called Local Office. And they are working right now with us on a streetscape and tree master plan for the neighborhood that is speaking exactly to your question, which is what are our needs within this 50 block community, but also how do we start to interconnect with our surrounding communities and become a catalyst, you know, to encourage 
the greater rebirth of Miami and to think about all of these different factors. I mean, we were, we're proud leaders in tactical urbanism, you know, in, in Miami that, that really guides a lot of what we do both on, on, you know, pilot basis and also in, in long form policy decisions that will guide us for the next, you know, 20, 30 years. Um, but everything from bicycle lanes to crosswalk master plans to wellness routes uh, ensuring that you know we can bring people in, not just keep people within our ecosystem and interconnect. Um, because you're seeing this now, not just in Miami within Wynwood, but you're seeing it throughout the world. Um, I think that's also one of the reasons why we were recognized by the American Planning Association, uh, winning the top national prize uh, for economic development and innovation. Uh, you know, this is a plan that's now being studied and emulated around the world. I mean, we we speak often to urban planners and leaders uh, throughout Latin America and places as far away as, as China um, that are looking at the way art and industrial neighborhoods are brought back to life and then become kind of these model communities to then guide, you know, the overall renaissance of these larger urban cores. Um, and Miami's no different. Interesting. Well, one last question then is, you know, if, yeah, the world, the world learns a lot from Wynwood and our, our participants will be as well. I'm curious, what other, what are urban models have you looked to, not just in the past, but also during the pandemic in terms of other responses? I mean, we talk a lot about on commotion about, you know, what uh, the Italians have done with some of their street closures, um, you know, and of course, you know, various funds for electric mobility. But I'm curious, you know, what other districts uh, do you see as peers of Wynwood? You know, that, that's a very tough question. We don't like to call favorites, but we look at uh, places near and far. So for the COVID in particular, we looked at Tampa. They mm. were ahead of the pack for us because in Florida, unfortunately, South Florida in particular, um, has been played with a higher infection rate, which meant we had stricter curfews and closures, whereas Central Florida was reopening a little earlier. So we kind of got to see a head start of how other governments were responding and managing this idea of outdoor seating, for example, for restaurants to provide patrons with an option and to also provide additional occupancy because now in many places, including South Florida, we're limited to 50% indoor occupancy. So to give these restaurants a fighting shot at coming back, we've opened up more bandwidth for them. So in Wynwood, we're also a pilot. Again, there's a theme here, as you as you're probably now picking up on, where we're working with our leaders in the city to take our on-street parking lanes and converting them to outdoor dining areas, where our restaurant operators can now have additional bandwidth uh, to service their patrons. So that's an example of a of a real short neighbor, you know, just a few hundred miles away. And then we look at places like Amsterdam, for example, and, and Holland that were inspired by the walkability um, of those cities. And that has guided us to adopt what we call Wunerfs, which is a Dutch term for a shared street. And we have three of those that are part of our new streetscape master plan for Wynwood. And these are going to be places where essentially we're going to consolidate these streets down to a single lane. So think road diet. And we're going to allocate the remainder of that space that we've now taken back and reclaimed that as our linear park space. Because Wynwood is an industrial community. It was never built to have park space and places for residents and visitors to congregate. So land values are very expensive. So this is the 
next best way to bring some green space that's much needed into the neighborhood. And we'll have these pedestrian-oriented neighborhood uh, areas that then can be temporarily closed off entirely to vehicles for special events and programs for the community. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Albert. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. Well, Jedi, I think he certainly made the case there for why we were right to think about having commotion in Miami in the first place. It's fascinating how to represent some of the same challenges we see in Commotion LA, which we'll be back to again this fall, but also, you know, uh, particularly for a coastal city on the edge of Latin America, it's a really interesting uh, innovation frontier for mobility. So I know I'm excited. How about you? Yeah, it's really a city on the edge of the future. Uh, a lot to watch for, you know, this fascinating kind of amalgamation of people from all over the Americas. So yeah, I think June 30th, July 1st, Commotion Miami Live, it's, it's gonna be a fun one. Well, great. Well, thank you again for joining us, Jonah. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with our final podcast ahead of the event. So uh, we'll hope to see you there. Hope to have you here, I should just say, and listen to us with another preview of the event. So uh, sign up for Commotion Miami Live and take care.